Oh my goodness. Ooh. I can't even believe it. Another one. Another one from The Last of Us. Yeah. Uh, we're so fortunate, man. We love this freaking show. As you can tell, since we keep having everyone on from it, <laughs> uh, we have the one and only Gina Louise Phillips coming on the show today to talk about her experience on the historic drama that's on HBO and HBO Max. Hell yes. It's a very entertaining story. And it, 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 she gives us a lot of behind the scenes info about how stuff went down too which was very cool and you'll find out definitively is pedro as nice as everybody says he is or is he not we've got the inside scoop now we do man we do but that's later on the show now let's get a little crazy What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Crazy Ant Farm. Holy moly, we're on episode 221 Hell today, yes. and you guys know your host with the most, myself, JLo Fantastic, and the one and only Mouse. What's up? Guys, we're super excited. We're super freaking excited to talk about anything and everything that's going down in Hollywood. But before we get this thing started, of course, be sure to rate the show, comment below, and tell us what you actually think about our podcast. Leaving a rating actually helps the podcast get seen or heard by more people who enjoy entertainment news, plus those who are trying to break into the entertainment industry. We're always about lending the helping hand, and that's what the whole podcast is about. So we want to do that, but we need your help to lend that hand. You're the arm, and we're the hand. We're the, like, <laughs> uh, where do we cut off? The wrist? Who knows? We knows. Oh my goodness. But before we go into the industry news segment, you guys know, be sure to head over to our website, www.crazyantmedia.com, where you can start rocking the latest and greatest Crazy Ant Media gear, and it's not just shirts and hats guys it's we not have coffee mugs we have teddy bears we have phone cases we have anything and everything that you need in your life right here right now you even want a Facts. therapy session head over to our other podcast everything's okay podcast where you are not alone and we are also going through something similar than what you're going through man oh man we have so much going on and we're super excited be sure to follow us everywhere at crazy media at itcap podcast so you know when those merch merchandise items go on sale because it's very important to get those freaking discounts and all the good things because things are skyrocketing in price right now so we just want to lend that helping hand like i said like i said but yes guess what guys we are not starting off with disney today oh, a lot of people are like what what is what? going on what is going on that is right we are starting off with the WGA. What does that stand for? Well, that is the Writers Guild of America. Now, we have been loosely talking about this for the past couple weeks on lives, on our Oscar watch party, on social media. So, the writers are kind of pissed right now, okay guys? They need to be compensated what they are owed and deserved. So, we're going to go more in detail on what is going down in Hollywood with all the writers. The Writers Guild of America has proposed the following articles uh, are propose allowing artificial intelligence to write scripts. Now we're talking about like chat GPT and things like that. Um, as long as it does not affect writers' credits or residuals. The Guild had previously indicated that it would propose regulating the use of AI in the writing process, which has recently surfaced as a concern for writers who fear on losing out on jobs. But contrary to some expectations, the Guild is not proposing an outright ban 
of the use of AI technology. Instead, the proposal would allow the writers to use ChatGPT to help use uh, to help write a script without having to share writing credit or divide residuals. Or a studio executive could hand the writer an AI-generated script to rewrite or polish. The writer would still be considered the first writer on the project, even though it had that revisions reworked by that AI intelligence. In effect, the proposal would treat AI as a tool like Final Draft or Pencil rather than the actual writer. It appears uh, to be intended to allow writers to benefit from the technology without getting dragged into credit, um, all the debunkles with software manufacturers and all those things. The proposal does not address the scenario in which an AI program writes a script entirely on its own, though, without the help of a person. So there's a lot of things to dive in there. And well, we want to know your thoughts and opinions first on this before we give ours, because this is changing the entertainment industry right now. We talk about all the time how technology is an ever-evolving door that helps and or despairs the entertainment industry. So we want to know your opinions. Comment below on Twitter or in our YouTube comment section. Please let us know. But I think it's not a good thing, in my opinion. I just feel like it's going to take a lot of the, the heart, the soul, the value out of the scripts that are written by someone who might experience something a little along the lines of what they're writing so it's something that i feel like may get misused misinformed and i also feel like what's the difference between this and basically anybody wanting to write a script now like the, you you you're taking away the the advantage of these writers who have been in the industry for many years you're taking that credit and that you know knowledge away from them now you're just giving it to artificial intelligence and letting just a random person do whatever they fuck they want it's like you have to put forth the time and the effort and the value into your work so that you can get recognized not just let a computer do it that's just my opinion well i agree with that and it's I'm surprised that the WGA is even even considering this because they're so strict in how you are credited, mm -hmm. right? Like, if you guys aren't familiar with it, there are all kinds of whether you are credited as written by, story by, screenplay by, based on a story by. They have like these de very definitive rules about how a person is credited on that on that film or on that television show and so how does this come into play then like if if because in my opinion if you let ai write the script right now if you guys aren't familiar with it with chat gbt you do have to feed it a bunch of information for it to write something right like a screenplay or like a script but in my opinion, with the best I feel like you could offer as a credit for that would be based on a story by. Yeah. Because if you're if you come up with this idea for a story and then you do nothing but feed it into chat GPT and let it write it, then it's clearly just based on your story because you didn't write it. Yeah. You didn't you know, so I think unless you just you conceive the story, you put it in the chat GBT, it writes it, and then you go back and you rewrite, right? Because they have rewrites all the time. Writers are brought in to rewrite other people's scripts all the time, and they're still credited as the writer. So 
unless you go back and rewrite it, change it to make it more human, make things this way. I don't think you should be credited as a writer. You you just shouldn't be. Yeah. So I don't understand how this is possibly a good thing. Yeah. Right. I think any tool, like always, it's good and bad. And I think this is going to be abused. And I think it is going to be to the detriment of writers because we're gonna, like you said, we're gonna lose the heart and soul of where you're coming from. ChatGPT doesn't know where you're coming from. It doesn't know emotion. It doesn't know... So dialogue won't be as as real. It, it just... I think this is bad all the way around. You know, if you want to use this to write a description for your film, great. But don't use it to write your film. Yeah, because I, I mean, think, on, on the cusp of the writer strike that is potentially about to happen, I feel like this is just another reason for writers just to completely switch up what they do as a profession they could go into different aspects of the the industry um because i feel like they're getting the raw end of the deal when right now they're not getting paid the right wages especially when they went from having a 21 to 24 episode season down to a 10 episode season and not getting compensated correctly i mean due to the streaming platform or streaming structure uh but now that you're bringing in artificial intelligence to where like i said and like you were mentioning on are touching on that basically anyone and everyone can do it and it takes the the heart out of the project to where it doesn't make it as connectable i feel like so that will definitely draw back some writers who are like maybe took a year or two off and then see this happening and they're like why the fuck would i want to come back to this like i'm really interested to see what like a sorkin or like a, a kevin smith or those type of people who write their own stuff and direct their own stuff have to think about this because i feel like it will get abused. It will get used in the sense of, you know, they're expecting to get the particular credit and you can't because you're not the one that is putting forth that time and effort. I feel like, you know, if you want to be a good boxer, you have to train, you have to work out, you have to eat properly. But what this is saying is if you want to be a writer, all you have to do is sit down in front of your phone and or computer screen and give it a little summary and it'll do the rest for you. Like, I just, I don't feel like that's necessarily the best way to earn something, you know? I mean, especially in this industry where you have to grind every single day, it's 24-7, and this is, I just don't feel like it's the way to do it. That's not a way to earn your credit, you know? So I just, I don't feel like it's right. Well, and now what does this do for the writer's power, their bargaining power? Because now... Any time now that everybody just knows that Chat GPT is there, including the studios, right? If the writers go on strike, if they threaten to go on strike, they're just going to use Chat GPT to write the films. Yeah, exactly. They're going to be like, well, go on fucking strike. We don't care. We know your idea. We know the premise. We're just going to put it into Chat GPT and go. And like, so does that, in all essence, take away their bargaining power because they know threatening a strike is not nearly as scary anymore because they'll just have fucking AI write it. Exactly. Like, like could we, is this the first step? Uh, are we seeing the demise of the writer? Are we just, or can the producer just, you know, like I said, sit down in front of a computer or a phone and then have, have it retouch a whole story? Are we seeing the demise of that particular part in the industry? I'm, I'm kind of scared for it. To I, be I am too, because I mean, it's now what are you going to do when you go into pitch? Are they just buying your pitch and then 
send you on your way, and they have AI write it. Yeah. Now we now we own the pitch, so we own the idea. Now we'll just let artificial intelligence create it. Like that is terrifying. It like, is terrifying because I mean, like we talk about, it's bring it's taking away the 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 humanality of it, if that's even a word. Um, but it, I mean, I just feel like. I don't know. It's just it's an ever evolving situation that we're definitely going to stay on top of. But I'm certainly like concerned about the people who are running the DGA because how do they not see this as a problem? I, I, you know, yeah. how do they how do they see this as just I don't it is a tool in the sense of writing description or summary or synopsis or things like that. But when you're writing whole scripts, how is that not a problem? You know? Yeah. And diving deep into it, reading what the WGA had to say about all of it, they claim that they would never allow a script that was purely written by WGA. I mean, by uh chat GPT to be used mm-hmm. to be like, there has to be some sort of human involvement in it or whatever. You have to dive deep because they did release a huge statement because of many people have the same fears that we have, but just because you say you won't, how do we know that? Yeah. Like, like there's no way to prove that it was or was not human involved. Like I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I just, it's, it's very scary, especially like it, it's really a walking th- thesaurus. Like, yeah. I mean, it can like spit out all of these like huge vocabulary words that in a sense, like some people might not understand when, if like a whole chat GBT script was pitched and a movie was produced, directed, all that good stuff, and it's out there. Some people, like the layman people, may not even understand what they're watching because that it was so artificially created that it's just, like I said, not connectable. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna keep an eye on it. We're gonna we're gonna keep watching what comes out. We're gonna keep watching what they say about it. Are they gonna define the credits? That how will you be credited if you use AI? Like you know, different things. We're gonna stay on top of it. And we're gonna see how this plays out. But it is as writers, as somebody who's spent a couple of years writing our series and pouring our heart and soul into it with no AI assistance, just us and a pencil and a paper and a keyboard. You know. I'm. I take offense to it. I, I, do too. I, I don't know, but like I said, we're gonna keep you updated. It's definitely an ongoing story, and and as it progresses, we'll we'll have more opinions. Yeah, I'm we will. Sure. All right, let's jump over to the Mouse House now, you guys. And we're gonna talk about this one too, because this came out of nowhere. Everybody was blindsided, including her, Victoria Alonso. Marvel's president of physical production, post-production, visual effects, and animation, basically second in charge of Marvel behind Kevin Feige, was fired Mm. earlier this month. Now, while the cause of Alonzo's termination is unclear, sources say the decision was made by a consortium, including Human Resources, Disney's legal department, and multiple executives, including co-chairman, Disney Entertainment co-chairman Alan Bergman, Mm. to whom all of Marvel Studios reports because he's the head of all the studios now alonzo's longtime boss and marvel chief creative officer kevin feige felt mired and in an impossible situation and ultimately did not intervene and had no part in her termination now alonzo if you guys aren't familiar has been with the company since the earliest days of the marvel cinematic universe establishing an enviable 17 year run and watching the studio grow from operating above a mercedes-benz dealership in beverly hills to being acquired by Disney. 
Now, during her tenure, the MCU became obviously the highest grossing franchise in film history. Alonzo joined the studio in 2006 as chief of visual effects and post-production and helped launch the MCU as a co-producer on 2008's Iron Man. She also served as a co-producer on Iron Man 2, Thor, and Captain America the First Avenger. Alonzo was upped to executive producer on The Avengers, makes sense, the landmark film, of course, that grossed $1.5 billion and took Marvel to New New Heights, proving that the concept of a shared cinematic universe could really work. Now, Alonzo has served as executive producer on Marvel's subsequent releases and also worked on its Disney Plus TV series. Now, in 2021, she was promoted again to president, physical and post-production, visual effects, and animated production. Now, despite her sudden exit, Alonzo is going to be credited still as a producer on the upcoming Marvel films, Guardian of the Galaxies Volume 3 and the Marvels, plus all the Disney shows that are still coming, Secret Invasion, Ironheart, Echo, and Agatha Coven of Chaos. Now, Alonzo's dismissal has raised numerous questions about the behind the scenes workings at the prized content engine and with them another unfavorable news cycle for Disney CEO Bob Iger as he attempts to stabilize the parent company amid economic unrest. Now I have a theory here. All right. Feige's untouchable. Okay? Everybody knows it. You 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 can't touch Feige. He is Marvel, right? They needed a scapegoat. Everybody is under the general consensus that phase four was underwhelming and and just really not that good. And phase five, I disagree because I loved Ant-Man, but a lot of people think that phase five has kind of started sputtering, right? It's, it didn't get off to a good start. They needed a scapegoat. They needed somebody to blame for the poor performance, somebody to blame for all the shitty special effects, somebody, and they know it can't be Feige. They can't throw Feige. So they needed somebody to throw under the bus, and I think she is that victim. I think they, According to inside sources, she was completely blindsided, had no idea it was coming. There was no talk of it. There was no chatter. There was no, not just, hey, you're fired. I think Disney and, and all the executives got together and said, look, people are unhappy. We kind of stumbled. We had a little misstep here or there. Somebody has to fucking pay for it. <laughs> Unfortunately, Victoria is the victim. <laughs> it's so crazy because, like, one, I feel like how does how does Kevin Feige just step step to the side and let this happen after a colleague of 17 years who you grown with and built a relationship with from basically the ground up how does he just step aside and let that happen i i get it you're like the top producer right now you're number one on everybody's call list call list but i, I just i'm a little disappointed in that situation like don't get me wrong completely admire the guy he's doing some amazing things with the help of his team like her so i mean a little disappointed in that situation where he just kind of stepped to the side and just like you know hands off but again i feel like this is not to look at phase four which made a shit ton of money don't get me wrong it was definitely the most (laughs) underwhelming phase of the marvel cinematic universe and i'm they've topped it off with black panther though that i thought was absolutely amazing i liked ant-man as well so i really had no bones to pick with that but i felt like you know it's just 
you 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 got it to a point to where you're not making these movies and you and I were talking about this yesterday. It it got to a point where you're not making these movies or television shows special anymore. You know, the one or two times a year where you put out these projects, that's when they were special. That's what built up the anticipation. And that's what brought in the rewatch value as well because you saw it in the theaters and then you were able to buy it on DVD and just keep it and to continue rewatching it so i thought that was very important that i don't necessarily think we have anymore and then i also feel like you know there's entirely too many they're introducing too many new characters at one time in phase four where you're like okay where is this going like for example moon knight no one really understands where and how he's going to fit in to the you know the franchise timeline as i like to call it the ones that you know are very established and continue moving forward so no one really gets where that one's gonna fit in unless you're like comic book people who i have ideas um but, i totally have an idea well yeah, <laughs> yeah. but uh, in this for layman people and it makes it very hard to be a casual fan now you have to be a diehard fan where you have to watch all of these shows to get where everything connects which i also think is a setback because casual not everybody has time for this shit like we reported a couple weeks ago with my statistic there is an infinite amount of new content that's out there just on streamers alone we're not even talking movies so to have someone sit down and say okay you have to be dedicated to this stuff to where you can watch the franchise movies that come out on the big screen i feel like is not necessarily fair to everything else that is out there right now which is really good there's a lot of really good content out there right now but i think it's just it's very oversaturated with content and i feel like every it falls victim of you know so i just feel like it's it's a whole mess of things that are happening all at once that you look to put one you look to place the blame on one person and i don't necessarily think that's the right thing to do i feel like it's just the industry that we're living in right now i mean it's oversaturated there's way too many things it's not special so it's just you know to put all of that on victoria i feel like is unfair well i can put it on one person and it's not victoria i'm gonna just flat out say who i think is responsible for it and that's bob chapik and I know people are going to be like, oh, but she was fired underneath Iger. And like, that's true. Iger's back and she was fired under Iger's watch. But I think she's a victim of Bob Chappick. And I'll tell you why. Because the reason it was so oversaturated through phase four is because Chappick ordered content nonstop content for Disney plus he fed the beast. He said, we need more content. We need more content. We need more content. And then he hardlined deadlines. You remember the, all the, all the shit coming left and right about the visual effects, right? She Hulk looked like shit or, or this didn't look good or that didn't look good. Well, apparently there was a lot of hard deadlines and poor Victoria had to become like this uber bitch on top of her teams to try to meet these deadlines in fear of not getting there and Chappick being pissed. And and so she became hard and she came down hard and that didn't go over well with a lot of the visual effects and post-production people, which kind of started to give her a bad rep, you know, but... I think it was all, hey, we've got Disney Plus, we're competing, we're seeing subscribers grow, we've got to take down Netflix, content, 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 content. Knowing that Marvel was the beast, that everybody wanted Marvel, Chappick over, overstepped. And that's something that Iger 
would have never done. Oh, the entire run of Iger and Feige was, hey, let's put one out, you know, maybe two every year. Nothing, nothing crazy. You know, let's let's build it up. Let's get them wanting it. Let's make them wait a little bit, right? And I even think that when they kicked off Disney Plus, had Iger still been in charge for the long haul of Disney Plus. It would have been spread out. It would have been, okay, hey, Loki's a great start, or, you know, that's awesome, or Falcon, and, and let's, let's wait now. Let, let's do this one. Let's do this one. And then it would be okay to tie into the movies, because you'd only have two movies coming out that year, and only one series, or maybe two series, but they would be spread so far apart that you would be anticipating and you would be able to watch them in time to watch what you're supposed to watch. Not all these delays and all these things. That wholeheartedly, I believe, falls on Chappic and the mismanagement of the company and the mismanagement of understanding the streaming business. And and unfortunately for Victoria, like I said, I think it's She's the victim of. They needed a scapegoat. And I'm sure Iger's not happy about it. Iger's a good man, and I'm sure he is not happy about someone having to take the blame. But there are shareholders, and you have to answer to the shareholders, and they want somebody to blame. And so this is the business of it, and sometimes it's not a nice business. Um, I agree with you, though. I think that Feige should have fought for her. And I'll tell you why, because remember, Iger fought for you. Mm-hmm. When shit wasn't going your way with Ike and you weren't allowed to do what you wanted to do or use characters that you wanted to use, Iger went to bat for you. Iger fought for you and in essence benched Ike so that you could take over and do what you wanted to do. And I feel like that's the move that you should have made. I get it. You, look. I get it. Feige recently came out and all but said, he hinted, he didn't directly say it, but he hinted and all but said, he wants Bergman's job. He wants to eventually be the guy that's in charge of all the studios. So he doesn't want to piss Alan off. He doesn't want to piss that group off. I get that. But you also got to defend your people. You're in a position to take over Alan's job if he decides to walk away because of the success you've seen. And that success is because of your team and people like Victoria. So to not go to bat for her, I think was a mistake, especially since people in the in the company have gone to bat for him uh-huh. to help him get where he was. I just think it was it would would have been the right move for him to do. Yeah. I feel like that's probably a good point. He probably didn't because it would have jeopardized his future with the company. Right. And which... you don't want to get fired when you're when you know you're potentially going there yeah right exactly it's like you've made i i understand that and we both understand that you know you gotta play the game you gotta do what you gotta do but at the same time you didn't get to where you're at right now without making ballsy decisions so he has to what do what he feels is right and i just i honestly think he just dropped the ball on that one yeah um but that that's that's it right there man i mean it's a very interesting situation um We'll see what happens. We'll see how it continues moving forward and how Phase 5s will um, continue to be reacted to. Because so far, I'm loving it. So I have, I have no problems with it. But I feel like maybe we're in the part right now where it I don't want to it's not superhero fatigue they're just expecting superhero perfection and you you you're not going to get that every single time not every marvel project is going to be infinity war end game level you have to lower your expectations a little bit and just have fun with the movies that's what they're for they're not supposed to dissect every single little tiny part but 
that rant over. There it is. Yeah. Um, then- well, and Iger, if you guys have been listening in the past couple of weeks, just one last thing on this. Iger is slowing the shit down. He came right in and said, let's slow this shit down. We don't need boom, 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 boom. So it's back into the proper hands. <laughs> you yes. know, he's not going to kill it. For sure. And fan expectations, again, slow down. Yeah, um, agreed. That's, agreed. That's my biggest thing. But anyway, we're heading over to new things that are happening also at Disney. Peaky Blinders creator Stephen Knight is set to write the screenplay for an untitled Star Wars movie that Shiram Abdel-Chinoy from Miss Marvel is attached to direct. That's very exciting. Yep. And the original screenwriters Damon Lindoff and Justin Britt Gibson also... Uh, this is a little. Uh, uh, they have departed this project. The movie is widely expected to be among Lucas's film's first Star Wars film since 2019's The Rise of Skywalker. It's crazy that it's been that long already. Oh, yeah. More information about the movie, including possible title, is expected to be announced at Star Wars Celebration in London in April. So right around the corner, guys. We'll see how it goes. And, I mean, May the 4th is also around the corner. So a lot of news, I bet, is about to come out about whole bunch of stuff about the Star Star Wars galaxy far, far away soon. Yeah, and this is another one that's been on hold forever, canceling things. Uh, we were supposed to get a bunch of movies, and they've all been just shelved, so now maybe they're kind of figuring that out, too, because, right? It's about time. We've gotten a shit ton of shows, but we want to see some movies, too, so I don't know. Hey, were you a fan of Jar Jar? Love him or hate him, guess what? Jar Jar was back! Sort of. Actor Ahmed Best, who of course played Jar Jar, returned to the Star Wars universe in this week's episode of The Mandalorian. Uh, spoiler alert. But instead of playing the infamous Gungan, Best made his return as a Jedi named Kelleran Beck. It gets even better, guys. Not only was he a Jedi, but in the newest episode titled The Foundling, Best appears briefly in a flashback to Order 66 when the clone troopers betrayed the Jedi and ruthlessly murdered nearly everyone. Best's Jedi Knight Kelleran saves a young Grogu who found himself alone facing a group of clone troopers. Now, Kelleran saves the little alien and dispatches the enemies with his two lightsabers, allowing Grogu to escape him uh, with him on a ship. The episode ends without really showing Showing where Kelleran and Grogu fly off to, opening up the possibility of Best to reappear later on, so that we can clear up where that where that came from, and where did Grogu, and how did he get where he was, and all that kind of good stuff. So, but that's exciting. I think it's cool because he got so much hate. You know, and, and for un- unnecessary hate. So I'm glad they brought him back and let this man just have a, some, some quality time. You agreed, know? agreed. Well, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Sharnart. Why do, why do those guys sound familiar? Oh, yeah. They just won an Oscar for <laughs> directing uh, this past month. Um, they are known as the Daniels. They have helmed a new episode of the upcoming Star Wars series, Skeleton Crew, for oh, Disney+. Plus. That's cool. After kicking off filming last summer, production has reportedly wrapped in recent months. While incomplete list for directors on the Skeleton Crew remains unannounced, sources indicate that the Daniels helmed one episode of the upcoming season. Now, Daniels completed principal photography on their episode of Skeleton Crew before the duo became Oscar winners earlier this month, taking home trophies for the original screenplay, Best Director, and Best Picture. They just swept the Oscars this year. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. I'm excited to see their episode because, I mean, they're fucking talented as shit. They are. Oh, Disney Plus has landed a ginger a four-part Ed Sheeran docuseries, The Sum of It All, that is set to premiere May 3rd. The project comes from Disney-branded television and Fullwell 73 Productions. 
Adele, One Night Only, was what they've done previously. It coincides with the May 5th release of Sheeran's latest album, a.k.a. Subtract, from Atlantic, of course. Now, Ed Sheeran, the sum of it all, promises to offer a candid look into the British star, his family, and his rise to superstardom after suffering with a stutter as a child. All four installments of Some of It All will drop on May 3rd. It's part of a wave of adult-oriented music specials and documentaries coming to Disney Plus as the platform seeks to broaden its content offering and household-wide appeal. On March 17th, Disney Plus launched its exclusive YouTube Bono and the Edge special, a sort of homecoming with David Letterman, of course. So, yeah, yeah they're all in on that stuff. They did. They released the, the Miley Cyrus one, too. So it, it's very interesting, all of these streamers doing this right now. Uh, Julianne Hoff uh, is set to return to uh, Dancing with the Stars Ballroom, and this time she is going to be the host. Bro. The news comes on the heels of Tyra, Breaks, Tyra Banks getting at the hosting gig for season 32 alfonso ribero will return as co-host and uh, carrie ann amdiba uh, bruno tolini and Derek hugh are set as judges now hugh's new tenure at dancing with the stars comes as disney continues to grow the program which uh, was a mainstay on abc from t- uh, 2005 to 2021 the company last year decided to run the show exclusively on disney plus possibly to generate generate a larger audience simultaneously um, for the streaming venture, but I don't necessarily think it's doing too well with the uh, the exit of the host and the numbers just continuing to go down. So I'm just they need to cancel that one, man. Just just cancel it. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see for sure if it if it can rebound. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris, we all saw this one coming, is set to reprise his star making role of Barney Stinson on the upcoming mid season finale of the Hulu original spinoff series. How I Met Your Father. Now, Harris was, of course, a main cast member and fan favorite on the original CBS comedy series How I Met Your Mother, which ran for nine seasons after debuting in 2005. Harris earned four Primetime Emmy Award nominations for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series over the course of the show uh, in 2007, 2008, 2009, and 2010. Harris will appear in next week's two-episode mid-season finale of How I Met Your Father, which debuts on Hulu on March 28th. After the duo of installments, the series will take a hiatus for a few weeks before continuing its 20-episode uh, second season on May 23rd. So that's exciting. I'm pumped. All the super exciting things about this franchise. And also, Hulu's How I Met Your Father will make its linear debut next oh. month on Freeform, marking it the first time the series has been available off of Hulu. Now, How I Met Your Father will bow Tuesday, April 25th on Freeform, starting with the first two episodes the pilot and fomo at 10 p.m and 10 30 p.m eastern time episodes will continue to air back to back each week uh culminating with the season finale on may 23rd hulu will continue to also offer how i met your father episodes for streaming as well that's not going anywhere so don't be afraid of that (laughs) how i met your father premiered back in january of 2022 the comedy is currently in the midst of its 20 episodes second season having returned earlier this winter and it's going over very well we are really enjoying it so i'm excited to see how they continue moving forward Uh, me too me too uh eva langoria's upcoming movie Flamin' Hot will premiere simultaneously on Disney Plus 
and Hulu, marking the first feature film to debut on both platforms. Following its world premiere at South by Southwest, where it won the Audience Award, Flamin' Hot will land on the streaming services on June 9th. Now, the film from Searchlight Pictures will also be available on Disney Plus internationally. Flamin' Hot is inspired by the true story of Richard Montañez, who, as a Frito-Lay janitor, disrupted the food industry by channeling his Mexican-American heritage to turn Flamin' Hot Cheetos from a snack into an iconic global pop culture phenomenon. Now, prior to the film's release, Montaigne's claims were disputed by a Los Angeles Times report, which claimed he wasn't involved in the creation of the spicy snack at all. Montaigne disputed the Times story, saying, All I have is my history, what I did in my kitchen. Frito-Lay parent company PepsiCo issued a lengthy statement expressing support for Montaigne's, though it did not challenge the Times reporting. It's very interesting, and Wait. I'm glad that 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 they didn't like completely stop what they were doing with this film because of that uh, Times report. So yeah, it's hilarious. Oh yeah, I mean it's interesting though that they would say they support him, but then not challenge the report that he didn't do it. Yeah, <laughs> like what? Exactly. It's like that doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> but whatever, whatever. Uh, Fox they have renewed its drama accused and yes. alert missing persons unit for their sophomore seasons to air in 2023 and 2024. Both Accused and Alert are co-produced by Sony Pictures and Fox Entertainment. Their pickups follow Fox's recent renewal for the of the Cleaning Lady for the third season. So they're rocking and rolling with a couple of renewals there. Oh, heck yeah. And no surprise with Accused. I mean, it came right out of the gate strong. And holy shit, if you didn't watch this week's episode with Jason Ritter... No way. Directed by Michael Chiklis, by the way, fantastically. Go check that episode out. You're going to love that series. All right, let's jump over to the bunny, Warner Brothers Discovery. Shazam! Fury of the Gods did indeed open at number one in North America, but the Warner Brothers and DC Comics sequel fell far short of expectations with a disappointing $30.5 million debut mm. from, get this, 4,071 theaters. Heading into the weekend, the film was expected to collect better than that, 35 to 40 million million, which already wasn't all that spectacular since it cost north of $110 million to make and another $100 million to market. It's a substantial drop, obviously, from 2019 Shazam, the first comic book installment starring Zachary Levi's quirky hero, which that one opened at $53.5 million and ended its box office run with $140 million domestically, $366 million globally. It's also one of the worst starts in the DC Cinematic Universe, other than the pandemic-era releases like Wonder Woman 1984, which only did $16.7 million, and The Suicide Squad, which only did $26 million which both opened simultaneously, remember, on HBO Max, which clearly hurt their box office. At the international box office, Shazam 2 added only another $35 million mm. from 77 markets. So it's total global start, y'all. $65.5 million. Yeah. Personal preference, uh, personal opinions aside, everybody online were talking about how it was f a fun movie, but I just feel like if you don't have the backing of the studio or HBO co-CEOs, then I feel like it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you. And then all the commercials, they blew all the, the secrets, they all did. the cameos. They showed you all the good stuff that yeah. you should never fucking show. Nope. So nobody had to go see it. Like exactly. it, It's just, what the fuck? 
TikTok. Exactly. Well, HBO Max is developing a drama series based on the life of Heidi Phyllis. Oh. Um, the untitled series hails from writer and executive producer Maggie Cohn, uh, also who recently served as co-showrunner on HBO Max's critically acclaimed limited series, The Staircase. Now, Phyllis will serve as a consultant on the project. <laughs> for, she, <laughs> she was formerly operated a uh, prostitution ring in Los Angeles that reportedly catered to wealthy clients such as actors, sports figures, directors, business executives, and more, earning her the nickname the Hollywood Madam. She was arrested in the early 90s on multiple charges and ultimately served nearly two years in prison. Should the project go forward, it would be the first time that Fila's life has been portrayed on screen. Now, USA Network aired the made-for-TV movie, uh, Call Me, The Rise and Fall of Heidi Phyllis in 2004 with Jamie Lee Curtis, or Jamie Lee Curtis, Jamie Lynn Sing- Sigler uh, starring as Phyllis. So that's very interesting. I had no idea about this story. Oh, well, I'm waiting for a comment from Charlie Sheen. Yeah. Charlie Sheen was the first <laughs> celebrity to get busted and, and kind of publicly outed as one of her clients i mean that makes sense uh, yeah no no doubt and he didn't care he was like yeah i am and she is and who gives a shit like you know so uh but yeah that's kind of like when that happened that's kind of what started the massive downfall of Of charlie because he threatened and she threatened to expose everybody else that's in that black book and and so yeah it got ugly real quick for sure but um, as it does yeah i mean hey you know uh paramount Paramount Pictures, I'm super excited about this one, y'all, has preemptively acquired a remake of Alfred Hitchcock's, that guy right there, Alfred Hitchcock's uh, 1958 classic psychological thriller Vertigo as a possible starring vehicle for RDJ himself, Robert Downey Jr. The actor is producing the project with his wife Susan Downey through their Team Downey production company, along with John Davis and John Fox via Davis Entertainment. Now, Peaky Blinders creator Stephen Knight, there he is again, is set to write this script. Wow, he's a busy guy. The original Vertigo starred James Stewart, of course, as John Scotty Ferguson, a San Francisco police detective who retires due to a paralyzing fear of heights brought on by severe case of Vertigo. After he's hired to tail an acquaintance's wife, played by Kim Novak, Scotty becomes obsessed with her, but his fears render him powerless to save her when she climbs the tower of a Spanish mission and plunges to her death. And then things really get strange Mm. yeah that's right that's not the end of the movie gets a whole lot more crazy after that um that's awesome though robert downey jr is gonna kill in that role Uh, so i have a question for you because you know we are ultimately like always against remakes and reboots if it wasn't for robert downey jr would you be against this project um yeah 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 i i think that that handled properly i mean and and this is a touchy one because this is really considered one of the greatest films of all time it's in the list of um by by numerous film people it's in it's in the the smithsonian it's it's one of those films that like maybe you shouldn't touch but i just trust rdj and susan everything that they've come out you know when everybody said don't touch perry mason don't touch it perry mason on hbo is fucking awesome yeah like he's been doing a really good job with taking these type things and doing them originally, even mm. though they're remakes. Mm. So you remember Doolittle? 
Yeah, most of. He did say he did do little so that he could do his other shit that they weren't too fond of. Yeah. So I mean, he just took that one. He's yeah. like, okay, fuck it. He, in my opinion, Robert and Susan probably went, "Are you fucking kidding me?" But then they're like, "Well, you can do this movie if you do this," and they probably said yes. Yeah. So it, it goes to show you all the old timers out there. They will approve of your movies if you are a critically acclaimed actor or person who has been successful. Right. Um, so there it is. If you young up-and-comers try to remake it, you're not going to get support. <laughs> uh, Essence Atkins and Tatiana Jackson have signed on to star in an untitled CBS pilot starring Damian Wayans and Damian Wayans Jr. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, in addition, Andy Atkins. Ackerman, Ackerman uh, has signed on to direct the pilot. The multicam pilot was first announced at CBS back in February. Per the official logline, legendary talk show radio host and happily divorced Papa, who's played by one of the Wayans, um, has his point of view challenged at work when the new female co-host is hired and an at-home where he finds himself still parenting his adult sons, Wayans Jr., and a brilliant dreamer who is trying to pursue his passion while being a responsible father and husband. This sounds like it'll be good. I mean, the Wayans brothers are coming back into the limelight recently, so I feel like it'll be very successful because everybody's like, I remember those guys win, so I'm excited for that one. Yeah, yeah. And I, the, the funny thing watching this one is going to be, they look exactly fucking alike. They do. Damon Wayans Jr. is like a clone of his daddy. It's going to be really fun to watch. Uh, the L Word, Generation Q, canceled at Showtime after three seasons, guys. Sorry. But... A reboot of the original series is actually in the works. Mm. Now, set over 10 years after the original L Word, the L Word Generation Q followed a group of LGBTQ friends who live in Silver Lake, Los Angeles, as they navigate sex, life, and love. Now, despite Generation Q's cancellation, the L Word franchise may still live on as there is a reboot, like I said, of the original 2004 series, which ran for six seasons. It's in development with creator Aline Chacken attached. The L Word New York is the series' working title. Interesting. So, oh, okay. So they're just moving from California to New York and trying again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All righty. Well, heading over to NBC Universal. Jordan Peele's next film is coming to the big screen just in time for Christmas of 2024. <laughs> Universal Pictures, which released the filmmaker's prior features like Get Out, Us, and the latest installation is Nope, added the untitled fourth film directed by Jordan Peele to its release calendar. It's set to open in the nationwide on Wednesday, December 25th of 2024. On its current date, Peel's upcoming project will premiere one week after James Cameron's Avatar 3 and Sonic the Hedgehog 3, which will both debut on December 20th of 2024. Universal's big screen adaptation of Wicked the musical was previously slated to land on the same weekend, <coughs> but the studio recently pushed it up to Thanksgiving. Oh. We reported on that last week. Yep. Now, in the announcement about Peel's film, uh, Universal also scheduled an untitled Monkey Paw film, which is Peel's production company, set to release September 27th of 2024. And it took an untitled animated event off its slate completely. So that's going to be very interesting. And I mean, this guy is like one of the hottest things in Hollywood right now. He's the one coming with the new ideas. So basically anything he wants, 
he's going to get. Uh, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, speaking of, I, I would pretty much watch anything this guy is in because he's a freaking phenomenal actor. Eddie Redmayne has been cast in The Day of the Jackal, Peacock and Sky's upcoming reimagining of Frederick Forsyth's novel and Universal's film of the same name. Uh. He will also executive produce the thriller series. Redmayne will play the Jackal, who is hired by the OAS, a French dissident organization, to kill then-president of France, Charles de Gaulle. Redmayne recently starred opposite Jessica Chastain, of course, in Netflix's The Good Nurse. So, yeah, I'm all in on this. The Jackal was a great movie, so uh, I think this will be pretty good. Is it like Headless Horseman type of stuff? Or, I mean, that's what it reminds me of. Oh, yeah, no, no. It, it It's like FBI espionage mm, okay. type stuff, yeah. For sure, for sure. Well, Allison Tolman has been cast in the St. Dennis Medical, a comedy pilot at NBC from Superstore and American Auto creator Justin Spitzer. Hmm. The pilot is described as a mockumentary about a underfunded, underfunded, understaffed Oregon hospital where the where the dedicated doctors and nurses try their best to treat patients while maintaining their own sanity. Tolman will play Alex, supervise nurse at St. Dennis Emergency Department who is dedicated to providing excellent customer service and care to her patients, often sacrificing her personal life to maintain her high standards. This is definitely going to be a jab at that whole industry because we, as we all know and saw, the nurses just had a big strike out and I think it was either Oregon or Seattle or somewhere like that. So this is just going to be a big stab at that. Yeah, I think this is the next generation scrubs. I think so. You know, <laughs> we'll see. Fingers crossed. Uh, jumping over to Lionsgate, John Wick is back for the fourth time and heading towards a franchise record opening with John Wick Chapter 4. Four, the latest installment in the gunslinging, knife-throwing action franchise. Now, Lionsgate's fourth entry opened with $8.9 million in previews last night at the domestic box office and is aiming to set a new franchise record in the box office debut. The latest installment in Lionsgate's action thriller series, led by Keanu Reeves, of course, as a legendary assassin, looks to collect a mighty $65 to $70 million from 3,800 North American theaters over the weekend. The movie also debuts this weekend in 71 territories at the international box office. By Sunday, ticket sales should climb to at least 100 million to 115 million worldwide. Each film in the John Wick franchise, get this, this is a good sign, has managed to dramatically improve upon its predecessor at the box office, which as everybody knows is rare. Beginning with 2014's John Wick, made 14 million to start. 2017's John Wick Chapter 2, 30.4 million. 2019's John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum 56.8 million and now of course Chapter 4 earning some of the best reviews of the already well received pack should continue that trend it did cost more than 100 million to produce giving it the highest price tag out of the series so far. John Wick 4 is the only new nationwide release, uh, so it should have no problem overtaking Shazam at the number one box office. No, considering its domestic opening weekend is supposed to match Shazam's global. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I think that's an, a no-brainer. Yeah, the goal, my goal for this weekend is to sit you down and watch the first one. Yeah, no, I really, I really have to go back and watch this Hasn't franchise. seen a single one, guys. I haven't. I haven't seen I, a single one. 
know, one. I know. It's just and not for no reason. Yeah, like I just, just haven't gotten it. around to. Um, no, but, but yeah, I definitely yeah. want to see so it tomorrow. I'm sitting you down and we're watching this. <laughs> I'm super excited about it though. This next one we're also super excited about because it looks so original and so epic. Amazon's MGM, Amazon Studios, is taking to the streets to promote Ben Affleck and Matt Damon's. Air, which chronicles the beginnings of the iconic Air Jordan sneaker brand. The studio has teamed up with iconic sneaker culture icon Jason Mark to host a multi-city consumer experience dubbed Fresh Air, which ties into the film's social campaign. Now, the sh- a shoe is just a shoe until I step into it. The activation uh, will see a gorilla as street teams flood U.S. cities, including Los Angeles. New York, Miami, and Chicago, and a unique opportunity to bring together sneakerheads and celebrate the culture and history of the sneaker community. The street team will also have a presence at the Jason Mark flagship store in LA. The film is set to be released on April 5th. We're super excited about that. And yeah, if they get the sneakerheads behind this, the sneakerheads are such a under... Like, this fucking community is so big and so deep. So if they get the sneakerheads behind this, like, it's going to have a massive opening weekend. Yeah, so think about that. That is brilliant fucking marketing by Affleck and Amazon and, and stuff. Because that's the the key to getting that movie successful mm-hmm. is the sneakerheads. So fucking brilliant. This is also brilliant. Amazon released the first official trailer for its Emmy-winning comedy series, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. The upcoming fifth and, in case you didn't know, final season will have a total of only eight episodes. The season will premiere with three episodes on my birthday, April 14th, following by one new episode each Friday until the May 26th series finale now in the fifth season plot has been kept under wraps but according to amazon midge finds herself closer than ever to the success she's dreamed of Mm. only to discover that closer than ever is still so goddamn far away interesting (laughs) i love it though it's a great series and it'll be interesting to see how amazon continues moving forward after this one and what will the paladinos do yeah that's the real question well the butch cassidy and sundance kids series in the works at amazon has found its showrunners alex metcalf uh has boarded the show currently titled butch and uh sundance as showrunner executive producer, series creators Kaz Firpo and Ryan Firpo uh, will serve as co-showrunners and executive producers alongside Metcalf. Now, the Firpos, uh, I feel like I'm saying hippos, most recently <laughs> wrote the screenplay for the Marvel film Eternals. So, Amazon has ordered the show straight to series. The show was first reported as being in development back in September with Rajon Page attached to play Cassidy and Glenn Powell playing the Sundance Kid. Um, At the time, it was reported that deals for the show were not yet closed and discussions were ongoing, but I'm super excited about it because one... Glenn Powell is like on top of the world right now with all the aviation shit. And Raji Jean Page is still on top of the world from Bridgerton. I mean, rocking and rolling. And he's going to be on top of the world with the new Dungeons and Dragons movie. Hell yeah. So, I mean, they're both just killing it. No, that's going to be a great butch in Sundance. Mm-hmm. I, that's going to be a really good pairing right there. Uh, Sierra and Hines, Rory Kinnear, and Tanya Moody have joined the cast of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, ahead of the series' second season. Mm. Hines, Kinnear, and Moody will feature in recurring roles through the upcoming season 
season, which is currently in production in the United Kingdom. Hines is an Irish actor, while Kinnear and Mood are both British. Details regarding their characters remain, of course, under wraps. Hines, Kinnear, and Moody join an already expansive cast of the series adapted from the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. The Rings of Power featured 23 series regulars during its first season, playing elves, ents, dwarfs, Hartford's orcs, humans, etc. <laughs> the first season of The Rings of Power concluded its eight-episode run in October of 2022. The second season is reportedly expected to release next year, 2024. So personal opinion and professional opinion. I feel like Amazon is going to fulfill their obligation to this one and then just be done with it. I think so too. It's, uh, I don't think it's anywhere near what they thought it was going to be no. and they coughed up a shit ton of money. Yeah, I feel like they also just took too long to develop it and put it out there. I and mean, they ditched Peter Jackson. <laughs> yeah, like why the fuck would you do that? Uh, but anyway, Emmy winner Michael Chiklis, like yes. we were talking about earlier, is set to star alongside Danny Pino in Hotel Cocaine, MGM uh, plus upcoming crime thriller forum creators Chris uh, Branaco. Hotel Cocaine is the storyline of Roman Copti, um, a Cuban expert um, who fought against uh, Fidel Castro in the Bay of Pigs invasion and remade his life in Miami. Where else would you want to remake your life? Right. Um, he is a general manager of a um, Mutini Hotel, a glamorous uh, intestiper of the Miami cocaine scene of the 70s and early 80s. Uh, the Mutini Hotel was Casablanca on cocaine. The glitzy nightclub, restaurant, and hotel frequented the Florida businessmen and politicians, international narcos, CIA, and FBI agents, models, sports stars, and musicians. Chickless will play Agent Zulo, uh, who will stop at nothing to shut down the drug trade, even when it means uh, using innocent civilians to accomplish uh, his ends. Oh, goodness, that sounds fucking hardcore. So yeah. that sounds like it'll be good. Hell yeah. Anytime Chickless plays a cop. I'm all in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a bankable yeah, one. For sure. On the heels of a breakout performance in the White Lotus Season 2, Will Sharp has been tapped to direct Crying in H-Mart for MGM's Orion Pictures, the coming-of-age tale based on Michelle Zauner's beloved memoir, which spent over 60 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, follows a half-Korean daughter who returns to small-town Oregon to care for her Korean mother. Critical and smothering Chung-Mi and creative and independent Michelle struggle struggle uh, to understand each other across a cultural fault line, only leaning to only learning to see and accept one another through their formative power of music and the vibrant flavors of Korean cooking. Interesting. Oh. Experiencing all the stuff, man. Experiencing all the stuff. <laughs> well, newly minted Oscar winner Jamie Lee Curtis is set to guest star in the upcoming Amazon comedy series, The Sticky. It was previously announced that Curtis would executive produce the series, which was ordered at Amazon back in April of 2022. Now, in addition, Gulmea Sierra plays Louis Sierra and uh, from Louis Sierra and the new life of Paul Schneider um, has joined the show in one of its leads uh, roles alongside Margot uh, Mar. Dale and Chris Danitanopoulos. Um, production is now underway on the series in and around Montreal. As we previously uh, announced, the series is inspired by the true story of the great Canadian maple syrup heist <laughs> in, the, uh, in which 70% of the world's global maple syrup supply was stolen and nobody got their pancakes. It's fucking crazy. It's just insane. How can you do that? 
<laughs> Jumping over to Netflix. Netflix has closed the deal to develop the 2022 best-selling Riley Sager novel, The House Across the Lake, developing as a potential directing vehicle for Paul Feig. Now, the film will be produced by Berlanti Shatner Films and uh, Feigco, with Sarah Scheider, Greg Berlanti, and Mike McGrath producing for Berlanti, and Feig and Laura Fisher for Feigo. In The House Across the Lake, Casey Fletcher is a recently widowed actress trying to escape a streak of bad press. She retreats to the peace and quiet of her family's lake house in Vermont. Armed with a pair of binoculars and several bottles of bourbon, she passes the time watching Tom and Catherine Royce, the glamorous couple living in the house across the lake. They make for good viewing. A tech innovator, Tom is rich and a former model. Catherine is gorgeous. In The House Across the Lake, Casey Fletcher is recently widowed um, and trying to escape. So she just goes there and spends time to watch the people across the lake. That's um. Mm. It kind of sounds sketchy and a little perverted, but who knows? Man. Yeah, I mean, I just you know, mm. fucking some weird shit happens at lakes and cabins, and like I'm just I want to stay true. surrounded by people, man. I'm just saying, <laughs> fucking scary shit. Well, Netflix is bringing back the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers yes. uh, cast for the 30th anniversary special titled Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Once and Always, premiering April 19th. The Netflix special features many of the original beloved heroes, including Blue Ranger Billy Cranston, David Yost, the first Black Peril Ranger, Zach Taylor, Walter E. Jones, and Barbara Goodson, the voice of the villain Rita Repulsa. And it also includes Catherine Sutherland, the second Pink Ranger, Stephen Carnitas, uh, the second Red Rangers, Karan Ashley, the second Yellow Ranger, and Johnny Yobosh, the second Black Ranger. Now, in the special, the Rangers reunite to fight Rita Repulsa, who is revealed to have killed uh, Trini, the original Yellow Power Ranger. One notable absence is the late uh, Jason David Frank, the actor who played Tommy Oliver, the Green Ranger, the White Ranger, and basically any and all of the other Rangers. Uh, he died back in November of 2022. We reported on that one. Um, this is why mental health is so big. Hopefully they do a nice memorial segment during the special. I think that would be very necessary and very needed. Um, but I know a lot of us 90s, early 2000s kids are looking forward to this one. Oh, yeah. Without doubt. I think it's going to go over well. Netflix's live-action adaptation of the popular video game Gears of War moves one step closer as Academy Award-nominated screenwriter John Spehis has boarded the project. Best known for co-writing Dune, Dune Part 2, and Doctor Strange, he will now take on the challenge in, of d adapting Gears of War as one of gaming's richest and most acclaimed video game sagas That's with true. over 40 million copies sold. Netflix's Gears of War movie marks the latest attempt to adapt the popular game, which is credited with redefining the tactical third-person and cooperative shooter genre. New Line Cinema briefly had the rights to the film adaptation back in 2007, and then Scott Stuber, now the head of original films at Netflix, came on as a producer in 2013 with Epic Games. Universal then hired F. Scott Frazier to write the adaptation in 2018, but no other moves were made on that project so let's hope it gets sees it this time right exactly exactly well guys netflix is not a joke because they take all things comedy seriously yes comedian taylor tomlinson has sealed the deal at netflix for her next two stand-up specials to premiere on the streamer tomlinson is currently touring her latest show which will tape later this year in washington dc for a 2020 or 2024 premiere date uh this will uh 
be Tomlinson's third and fourth special for Netflix. Her hour-long stand-up debut, Quarter Life Crisis, premiered on the platform back in 2020, uh, followed by Look at You in 2022. Tomlinson noted that her next special will be shot at the end of this current tour, currently dubbed as the Have It All Tour, um, <laughs> right around the time she's about to turn 30. Um, much of her material is Time Out explores what it's like to be at that life of crossroads where your life is starting to take off while other parts are not and all of these different things. We love her comedy and uh, had the pleasure, Emily and I had the pleasure of meeting her. She is very talented, so... Everybody check out her content. It's really good. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's exciting. Yeah, I love the comedy specials on Netflix. They mm -hmm. are killing it there. Let's jump over to Apple to wrap things up. Apple is reportedly planning to invest $1 billion, yes, billion with a B, per year to make films that will play exclusively in... Cinemas. cinemas. Yeah, not on the streamer, in cinemas. The news, which was first reported by Bloomberg, comes months after Amazon's similar commitment to putting 12 to 15 new movies in theaters annually. Now, in the past, most of Apple's previous original movies were either exclusive to the streamer or were granted just limited theatrical runs. Coda, for example, which eventually brought in uh, Apple's first Oscar for Best Picture, screened in only select theaters, but grosses weren't reported. Now, Coda seems to be an exception, other expensive tentpoles like Tom Holland's PTSD drama Cherry or the animated Luck came and went without much fanfare at all. So yeah. I get I like to see this though. I mean, not only is it good for theaters and it's good for movie lovers, but it's good for them too because inevitably it'll draw people to their streamers. So I mean, I agree, guys. I agree. Well, now it is time for the one and only Gina Louise Phillips to come on the show. Oh my goodness, this is such an inspiring interview. All the up and comers are gonna love it. Um, I know you've probably heard us say that before, but we're serious. We're very sincere when we say that every single time. She is such a gem of a person and. And I'm really excited for you guys to hear her dynamic and how, like, when she got the role, how excited her family was, specifically her brother-in-law. So it's a very good, just wholesome, family-feel-good interview. Everybody's going to love it. Hell yeah. And you know what? She she proves that you don't have to go the ordinary way. She got the role because she made the decision to move. Yeah. And if she had never moved to t spend more time with family, she'd have never ended up on The Last of Us. Exactly. So that, I mean, I love that. This is a really good one to listen to, you guys. Agreed. Agreed. Well, here she is. Gina Phillips, welcome inside the crazy ant form. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. Wow, you guys are a lot of energy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we well, love crazy it. is in the name. So be warned. <laughs> we like okay, to have a little it, fun. Got it, got it. <laughs> so we are so excited to talk to you. You know, obviously uh, your big appearance on on the biggest show on television right now, right? The Last of Us. So we're definitely going to dive into that. Um, but yeah, we, we want to hear all about your path and how it all got started and, how, and what made the decision to go into this industry, right? We're always curious as to why people choose this path, right? Was it something they always knew they wanted to do or did they kind of fall into it? So tell us your story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, it's kind of funny. You know, I, I was uh, in news broadcasting originally. So same with you guys? <laughs> yep, oh, yeah. That's yep. where we met. It was at a news station. Yeah. Okay. So it makes sense why you're doing the podcast thing properly and very professional. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, you know, everyone can create a podcast now. So I find that they're like vastly different in quality oh, yeah. questions. 
presentation and uh yeah you guys are killing it so yeah that that's my past um i went to broadcasting school i think in my head i was like okay i love storytelling i'm always gonna act like i always was in acting classes but coming from calgary alberta canada it was mostly oil and gas there mm, right and the most feasible communications e storytelling -y thing was broadcasting and at least then my parents were like good you got your degree you know she's gonna be okay uh so that's kind of why i got into that which is so funny because as like a secondary career you guys know it's it's hard work you oh yeah your, it's a grind yeah to and totally i'm i so i've sort of like ground ground <laughs> in multiple different directions uh I'm grateful in th for that because I think I came out of it with a lot of diverse skills. Mm. And when you're in something like acting, you know, you don't always have steady work. Right. Uh, so I've kind of gone it back and forth in the hosting world, some writing, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, but then I get to do the acting thing when it comes up, which is amazing. <laughs> I, I always love that too. I always love, because you'd be amazed at how many of the people that we've talked to that are in this industry, be it actors or directors or producers, costume designers, whatever, started in news. <laughs> it's amazing. So it's it's really yeah. weird how many of us come from there. And, the, and I always love hearing why. Like for me, it was, mm. I was doing the acting thing and then uh, his future wife, my daughter, I found out she was coming. And I, and I was like, uh-oh. And because like you said, well, that's not a whole steady paycheck doing what I'm doing right now. And I've got a kid coming. So how can I still play? And so I go yeah. into that. And then I, like you said, I'm like, oh, this isn't playing. This is like hard work. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on now? Like, but the, the, the skills though, like you mentioned, you know, I mean, I ended yeah. up doing all different kinds of things and, and Logan as well. I, I did editing. I did, I shot with the camera. Yeah. I transitioned to producing and I was writing, I did promotions. So what I was able to take out of that and put now into this was amazing. So the the time there was definitely valuable for sure. Yeah, you know, it gets me in trouble sometimes because when you've worked <laughs> in production, you've worked behind the scenes as much as you've worked in front of the camera. Uh, uh, as an actor on set, they really expect you to be so passive in the process, right? right? Because you're just coming in. Right. And those people have worked their asses off on set setting it up in a really specific way and i come in like i resist asking questions bringing <laughs> up like you know if i hear the director say one thing about my wardrobe and i notice that the wardrobe person isn't maybe following that direction like i really just want to fix things for them so that <laughs> i can make the process easier but i really notice like quite early on that it's not appreciated on set and everybody has their own specific roles mm -hmm. and if you get involved if you kind of open your mouth it's taken really seriously because oh my god an actor is talking everybody has to listen but also this actor doesn't really know what we do right. and there's this sort of there's i can just tell they just kind of want you to shut up and do your job <laughs> right, right? <laughs> well it's yeah. kind of like it's kind of like polar opposites right because like you said being in broadcast journalism it's very much 
run and gun trying to get what you can when you can like if you might miss a shot if you're not recording all the time but then with filmmaking and especially on big big budget things it's a whole lot of uh standing and wait find your spot and then you wait for your shot (laughs) like so it's all of these different things so yeah it's very interesting and have you had a chance to um go on an indie set yet because it's kind of like broadcast journalism where you're wearing (laughs) multiple different hats and you're like okay we need this 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 and this hey you also acting can you wear or can you hold the boom mic like all of these different things so i mean it's it's like a gift and a curse because there is that whole bunch of pressure but then there's like this whole bunch of experience that you gain through trial and error so i think that's very fun as well yeah, I love that you worded it. Have you had the opportunity to do this <laughs> <laughs> It's like, you know what? I did HBO. I think now I just want to do indie films. No, I've done yeah, a ton of that. And you're so right. It's like that's when you can kind of take on the different roles. Uh, everybody, you're right, like puts their hands in, just does whatever it takes to get it done. And I create stuff with my friends all the time. I I find that so it's such a good balance, right? You get sucked into the industry. You're waiting on auditions. You're waiting for callbacks. You're waiting then to hear if you got it or not. Are my dream, am I going to be elevated in a huge way? Or is this, am I going to be told that I no longer have the job? You know, every day feels so different. So if you can control anything and it's hard to do, especially during the pandemic, I wasn't exactly creatively fulfilled and motivated but uh when you can do it when you have a group of friends that create things it's a very satisfying yeah well well i'll I'll, I'll tell you we we shot our first film uh, directed our first film during the pandemic and uh, you know uh, on an indie kind of a scale and I think that the 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 bonding that goes on there is so much because you know it, it, these these giant features and don't get me wrong everybody loves to be on the big budget stuff also right that's the yeah. whole goal you want to do that but they're machines there's a person for everything yeah. and you're just boom oh boom boom God. boom boom indie you kind of develop this camaraderie like you know hey we're all in this and we got to get this and this and this and this and it's uh, I mean when on day one when we showed up our actors were like trying to unload the grip truck we're like no 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 no, no. you you don't pick up anything you just go go to makeup whatever you don't have to pick up shit out of the grip truck right but that's when we knew you know like these people are committed to making the best possible project and whatever they have to do to get it done they're going to do that's why I kind of really like the indie world because I feel like Mm -hmm. you get that passion you get that you know that bonding of whatever it takes we're going to make the best possible thing we can make and I feel like sometimes on the bigger sets you don't always get that it's just kind of like this is a job and we're going to do it and we're going to move on and boom 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 yeah you kind of feel apart from it right especially as an actor you come in you work for a few days and then you just turn around and leave and mm-hmm. you don't hear how it's going. <laughs> when is it, you know, That's right. did I do okay? Like, you know, it, you, you don't hear any of that. And it's funny with the indie films, like I, I've done some where I've been apart from the process and I come in just as an actor, like mm-hmm. what you're talking about. And it's like, they treat it with so much respect. They do. Yeah. And they don't want you to unload the truck and everything. And, <laughs> but yeah, like my reporter brain helped, you know, helping carry a, a, you know, part of their gear or whatever would just be what I would do. And, but if I create things with my friends, then it's like, for sure, like all hands on deck. Mm-hmm. So there are definitely different tiers. And I've had to learn to kind of like accommodate, like, what is my role today? Mm-hmm. What parts of my brain should I shut off? And what, which ones do I keep on? 
It's weird. Oh, for sure. And I want to go back to what you said about, you know, trying to do different things while feeding the beast that is acting. Well, picking <laughs> up the, like, I guess, freelance job where you're doing some TV hosting. I think I oh, saw yeah. you did uh, some stuff for, like, uh, a golf channel mm-hmm. or uh, yeah. whatever. So, I mean, I think that is very important, too, because there is times that, you know, it is kind of a dry spell. I mean, you know, you have to do what you have to do to continue doing what you love and to continue eating and paying bills and things like that. So I think that is very smart of you to, because we brand this podcast Mm -hmm. for those who are trying to break into the entertainment industry. So if they listen to different people's stories, they can kind of generalize and get an idea of what they may need to do and not do. So I think that is very important. And that is something that we want to pass along. It's like, you may Mm -hmm. be doing something that you don't necessarily want to do, but that gets you one step closer to being able to get in that audition room or be able to get on set or to make those connections because connections are so viable and so necessary in this industry. So necessary. And you also have to think, which is what you're talking about is like, what is going to keep me acting? Mm, Right. What is, what do I need to do to have some level of perseverance? Mm -hmm. And when I was younger, I think I kind of thought it would be like a mountain that I would climb. And at some point, things would drop away because I just naturally would be so busy with my super successful acting career. Right. And I just think, especially in Canada, it's not really like that. Mm -hmm. And the ones who are getting the bigger parts are the ones that have been in it for a long time. Mm -hmm. And they've just molded their life in a way that they can still go on vacations, still have a partner, still fly home to see their family. And it's like that fills me up and also adds to my experiences so that when I get to a set, I'm not like a shell of a human being who's just been so desperate because that kind of empties you. And I see some of my friends even, you know, having kids, that sort of thing, which seems like such a scary thing, right? Especially as a female, you know, you're out of the game for so long and you see how it kind of adds to their character. And and when they finally do act again, it's like they're, they've, their the way they perform is just more full. It's really mm. cool. I, I love that because I, I think I think everybody from the outside first looking in, they just assume that everybody's rich, everybody's making all this money and that, yeah. you know, oh, it's, you're in entertainment, you're an actor, you know, kind of a thing. And the reality of it is anything but. Most working actors are not millionaires. They're not making bakoodles of money. They're they're working, but, but they're just like everybody else. They have jobs and they're paying bills and they're, you know, and I think hearing stories like yours and 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 other people that we've talked to so you know for the people that are trying to look and come into the industry if you know what it really is and how to proceed you're going to be okay. You're going to make a living at it. You're going to get work. And eventually you'll yeah. reach those levels that you're trying to reach. I think the yeah. ones that fail are the ones who just think they're going to come right in. They're going to get the first audition. It's going to be a huge movie. And then they're going to make $20 million. <laughs> and, you know, they're more interested in, I think, the fame and celebrity than understanding that this is actually work. And you have to pay your dues and work your way up to get to where you want to get. And I also like that you said to keep in mind and keep the the importance of I have a spouse, I have a family, I want to take a vacation because yeah. I feel like everybody, you know, at certain points is like, I can't do any of this anymore. This is all I can do. And it's like, well, you're missing life if you don't do that. And, you know, yeah. so I love that you brought that up because like you said, it in turn translates back to the career. My life experience makes me a better actor or a better director yes. or, you know, so if you're not living life, how yeah. can you possibly tell stories? 
stories. You don't know anything. I mean, totally. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm so happy. I've kind of, I've been able to say that with mm-hmm. the confidence and the true understanding of it. I think I yeah. could have said it a few years ago, like, but just barely grasping the concept. But um, like this year, I really want to go to Italy. I've never been to Italy before. And it's one of those places that I've had on some sort of pedestal. You know, I really want to get there and I, I'm going to make it happen. And I booked my flights and my partner was like, wow, really? Wow. Okay. So we're going, what if you book a big job? You know, that's always like the question. Right. I just go, like, I guess I'm going to try to go anyway. I'm going to, I'm actually going to prioritize this. And that seemed really scary for me to say. So I'm truly just, just making my way into that mindset. Right. That oh, that's about. fantastic. And I actually just, yeah. um, I was listening to a podcast earlier today and they were talking, they mentioned a phrase and let me know if either one of you guys have heard this. Um, it's called art monster and basically where you let the art consume who you are and you make that your personality and you kind of forget about everything else that was you before the art and the passion came in and you have to keep that separate because yes that's your love that is your passion but you also need to have things outside of that so you can continue moving forward as a human being and as a person in a relationship or in just an overall just general person and so you don't have to you know just focus on this one thing because when you do that I feel like you put so much pressure on yourself and you set expectations that don't necessarily need to be there so i thought that was a cool little antidote that i could have added to this i was like hey i just thought of this phrase or i just heard this phrase for the first time let me just put this in here (laughs) i haven't heard art monster but i totally get what the art monster is though right yeah i'm kind of glad you named it now i'm gonna (laughs) and now i'm able to (laughs) to point to it and say, you know, I'm not going to let the art monster gobble me up. There we time. go. There we go. <laughs> well, and you know, I, like I think it's important too to to prioritize your life over the art sometimes because I also feel like People, real people will appreciate that. And if it is a big role Mm. and a big opportunity, if they want you, they're going to wait for you, right? They're going to be like, we can reschedule this or you can come in on this date or that date because it was meant for you to have it. And I feel like if you're going to jet out there to Italy and you miss out on that opportunity, it wasn't yours anyway. It 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 just wasn't meant for you then anyway. Because I always believe wholeheartedly that everything happens for a reason. And if that opportunity is truly yours it'll be there when you get back from italy (laughs) like you don't have to sacrifice one or the other for for that and i think it's important that you put that out there because you know this industry is built on we like to call it selection instead of rejection but it is it's Mm. already a mental game right you have to have thick skin you have to know that going in 99 percent of the time is a no until you get the yes and that's the gig so if you're already sacrificing areas of your life and then you're dealing yeah. with expectations that you're putting on yourself that you can't possibly live up to. You are just damaging the mental state, like men, you know, crazy. So that uh-huh. for you to put out there that you know you're you understand you can't give up life. You've got to live and you've got to do your things and and what yeah. comes comes and what goes goes and that's okay. That's huge for all the people listening trying to get into the industry because if you don't figure that yeah. out, you're going to get in trouble real quick. Well, think about what you're told though when you first enter this industry. Broadcasting is the exact same way. I remember my broadcasting teacher going, uh, what did he say? He said, it was the first day and he said, some of you might not make it home for uh, Thanksgiving. And he said it in a way that was like filled with pride. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there was such like a cockiness around like, this is the hardest industry. And if you're not ready to work hard, then 
like you're not going to make it and that's on you and like i i already have that in me naturally i have a natural motivation like since i was a kid i wanted to be in this industry so i think going like i have to grind and everything's so hard like on top of that it's like the things that you want to do you will naturally do without having this sort of like scary dominating force on top of you telling you that you're not good enough unless you look like you're working really hard right, That's right. yep most definitely and we also have a um because mental health has been such a big thing for us over the past couple years so we would like to talk yep. about that we actually started a whole new podcast yep. strictly about mental health cool. and um one of the topics we had on our previous episodes is stigma so with trying to switch careers into the acting game from broadcast journalism, did you get that kind of pushback from family or peers that are like, but that's not a real job. You're chasing after a pipe dream. Like, was that something that you encountered? <laughs> the thing is, I made my way to Toronto pretty fast coming out of school. I had worked in Calgary at some news stations and I just went, I'm going to go to the biggest center in Canada for media, for acting. And I think I had to get away from a certain mindset. Mm -hmm. Everyone was supportive, but I had to find my artistic team and community yeah. here. What I did is I started taking Second City classes mm. and doing that improv and having those really close binds with a group of hilarious people uh, really gave me that community. And then it was like, we don't need anyone's permission because That's we're right. we're already doing it we're already supporting each other and that becomes your support base instead of me relying on my family or my friends from back home to do it so i i think it is about just finding your people and most big cities have that right mm -hmm. for people that come from smaller centers they don't so it's like getting to that center where everybody where you have these niches that you never thought would exist i never thought i would meet people like me you know right. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. i've even met like some you know broadcasters slash actors just like you guys people that are like it's okay to do both things yeah like, exactly cool because that got a little i'd say that's the more confusing thing than getting into acting it's that i've managed to kind of balance both right and i i think that some people find that a bit confusing and they want me to choose yeah Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that plays into just expectations in general, right? We feel like that's a, yeah. that's another thing, especially in this industry and 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 the different things is like because to be in this industry and be creative and be doing what we're doing, there are no it's not a straight line. It's not linear, right? It's it's all yeah. over the place in order to do what we do. And so when society and, and sometimes even family, they have these expectations. You should be married by this age. You should have the house with the fence yeah. at this age. You should have a baby at this age. And when you don't, you, you put that pressure on yourself like, I'm failing. Oh, my God, I'm 30 and right. I don't have a baby or I don't have a house or like, totally. you know, and to mm -hmm. understand that. It's okay. There, there's no such thing as you have to have this by this date or this yeah. date or this date. And to know that it's okay to just go outside and go this way <laughs> and go that way and you're still going to end up here. You don't have to do this, right? It's so important. Yep. And I think you're right. Finding your circle of like-minded people allows you to do that. You're like – Oh, everybody's yeah. like this. Oh, yeah. It's an amazing feeling, right? When you're in it a room is. with everybody that's like you and you're like, oh, okay, I get it. All right. Yep, that's exactly right. And comedy was huge for that because I think I express myself through comedy. I like respect people I can laugh with. Yeah. Uh, there's, I hold that in my heart and in my mind at such a high level that – 
when I was growing up, I think, you know, dating certain guys that are like, she can't be funnier than me, you know, like that <laughs> real like, <laughs> like guys that just were not, they're a little put off by, by someone who, you know, puts comedy first or uh-huh. has a sense of humor to that degree. Um, so that was a huge thing for my own confidence and being the person that I actually wanted to be expressing myself with people the way I wanted to express myself. Because otherwise, if if you're, well, yeah, you guys, it's exactly what we're saying. You know, you kind of, you end up narrowing your life to end up fitting into something else. That's right. So then, then it becomes, okay, how do I possibly, how do I properly message this to the people who are living that linear life in a way that's like, I'm not judging you for it. It's just not what I want to do. Right. And right. then people want to know, well then what are you doing? Like what what is the plan? Exactly. And then and then you're in real trouble because if you're not a person who has like a five year plan, right, or a right. year plan, yeah. they're like, Well, that actually then then I'm really concerned. <laughs> right. Exactly. When you say, Well, the plan is there is no right. plan. They freak the there fuck out. They're like, what do you mean there's no plan? Like, you need help now. It's You're so right. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, I think they'd be fine with me doing the arts thing. Not saying anyone's not fine with it. Right. But if, if, they could understand an artistic person better if they had a plan for their art. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which, yeah. Good luck. If you can figure that out, let it's us impossible. know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that is yeah. so freaking funny. Well, of course, we want to talk about The Last of Us, like we talked yes. about in the beginning. One of That's the right. biggest All of us shows. journalism people, that was a perfect transition, right? Comedy to The Last of Us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the biggest show on television and streaming right now, breaking record numbers so super freaking excited for you for that opportunity and how did it even come about how did you even you know apply for this one realize how well it does segue because (laughs) it's actually so in line with what we're talking about if you can believe it so i went from toronto where i was living in toronto with my partner and my whole family is in alberta Mm -hmm. he's originally from alberta so we got into our jeep we sent all our stuff in a u-haul and we showed up basically on my parents doorstep being like hey we're we're gonna we're back we're popping into this family bubble everyone's talking about uh but like truthfully alberta um had looser restrictions during the lockdown, Mm -hmm. but not even looser restrictions. It's right by the mountains. Like Mm. it might be like Denver. I think that's a similar kind of city. You know, I just wanted to hike and ski and see family and do those things that I haven't gotten to do in a long time in that way. So we rented a house for much cheaper than Toronto (laughs) and it had a backyard, you know, like I, I was sudden, I was living across the street from my little sister, my older sisters up the hill my parents were just down the street and we popped into this kind of like family paradise for a bit uh so while this was happening you know i talked to my agent you know this is a big deal you know how is this going to impact things i i just feel like i gotta go i gotta live this life for a bit i'll be back you know that sort of thing (laughs) and at the same time calgary's film industry was started booming like the timing could not have been better and I was starting to get auditions for Fargo and Last of Us and this show Guilty Party with Kate Beckinsale. And I was amazed at the big projects that were suddenly filming there. Few and far between, but really big ones. 
So I started auditioning and when I, I, I got The Last of Us, like basically in the middle of that big shift that I thought would impact my career has now benefited it more than ever. That's amazing. So it goes straight back to full circle about if it's meant to happen, it's going to happen. If it's yours, it's yours. Doesn't matter what moves yeah. you make. If it was meant to happen, it's going to happen. That's awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. And, and I mean, my mom was like, you know, it's going to happen here. If, if it's going to happen anywhere, it's going to happen in Calgary. And here you are, Gina, something big is going to happen. <laughs> I, she just kept going on and on. And even when I shot it, I knew it was such a big deal. But it was also over a year and a half ago. Right, now, right. Right. So it's amazing now with all the hype about it, the amount of viewers watching it. And I, you know, being interviewed by different people. It's. I now realize that it was literally what my mom was talking about. Well, and, and that was going to be my question. Did, did you, were you uh, familiar with the game before? And did you have any idea that it was just going to blow up the way that it's blown up, right? Because, I mean, it's just yeah. massive right now. Did you kind of have an idea? You thought maybe this was going to be that? Or were you just as shocked as everybody else? Like, holy cow, man, this thing just exploded. I had the benefit of having uh, my brother-in-law, Corbin, who is a big video game collector and trader he has this whole business he knows everything about every game ever yeah. so to him when he heard the last of us was filming in alberta that was a huge deal so when i started getting auditions for it it was blowing his mind he was really telling <laughs> me about it <laughs> and uh so i started playing the game and i i didn't play a lot of it but yeah. i got enough of a sense of like what this was going to be like and oh my god i mean the first hour is like such a crazy story already, right, yeah. right? Yeah. You can see immediately why it's a TV series. It's just the story is so beautiful. And yeah. it's all it's already cinematic. Right? Exactly, exactly. And shout out to Corbin. I mean, that guy's awesome. We appreciate him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just I just felt like, you know, that back and forth dynamic. I mean, Bella Ramsey, she's a hot rising star right now. And then like her like cussing you out about <laughs> making sure she's doing everything right. I thought right? that was hilarious. Was it kind of like a light switch? Like when it was yelled cut, she's like, I'm sorry I was talking to you that way. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? We got along really well, and I I was lucky enough. It was right at the beginning when the whole cast was hanging out, getting to know each other anyway. So I, I feel like on some level I got to be part of that. Yeah. So, yeah, we it was kind of hilarious. Like, in between takes, we were, like, scowling at each other, you know, <laughs> trying to, like, stay in character. But then we just, you know, end up laughing about it. But, yeah, she had to kick that tray at me a, a, a bunch of times, yeah. like 30 times or something. You know, like they were so specific about every moment mm -hmm. of every single moment. And and you can see why, right? I mean, it it pays off. And when it's something like HBO, they have the money to spend that much time yes, exactly. on things. And so even for someone with a small part, you get a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with the director. Uh, it's It's just... It's you spend so much more time than you would on a, a smaller set on a scene like that. Oh, most definitely. And something at that scale with that many like A-list stars, I feel like it was probably just a firsthand masterclass, right? Like were there a few uh, tips and tricks that you picked up along the way while being there? Um, I learned that they all have a lot of fun, definitely. That's like good. Pedro Pascal has just like, this like lightness, buoyancy about him that I think working on a long 
production like that, you need to oh, for for sure. get for along, sure. like get along with everyone around you and be that kind of leader, mm-hmm. I guess, keeping everyone's mood up. You know, leads don't have to do that on shows, but I really like when they do because it keeps everyone in a good mood. And those are long, hard days. I can't even imagine some of those days when they're filming in the middle of a snowy field. Right. In the middle of like Lethbridge, Alberta. It must have been so crazy. But he, like both he and Bella had such a great attitude. Well, and that's great to hear because that that gives you the, the indication that they are appreciative of where they're at and what they get to do, right? Because when you reach a certain level, right? Like you said, some people are just, not like that, but to be like yeah. that and lead and and be warm and keep everybody upbeat even during the bad times and everything that just says I really appreciate what I get to do every day and I yes. want you guys to have a good experience with this even if it is in the middle of snow fourteen hours right <laughs> I want you guys to enjoy yeah. what we're doing and so that says a lot about the character of who they are. Um, and that's fantastic. So I got to ask, because you're a comedy girl and everything, I, there, there has to be an embarrassing moment somewhere on set of something that you've worked on that you just thought, oh, my God, you're never going to get over this. But now you can laugh at. Right. You've got to have a story. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. I must have so many stories. <laughs> like, <I can't> even... <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, oh, God, I, there was there was one. There was one time when I, I was working on the show Shadowhunters and I was, I get killed and I stumble backwards and I fall off the curb and then I'm like in a puddle of water yeah. and there were, mis- there were mosquitoes, we shot like overnight and there were mosquitoes landing on my face oh. <laughs> and I just like started like flinching like I was like the dead girl that was just. <laughs> That's totally normal. It's like the chicken with the head cut off. There's still some I, movement there. Like, you know. like Gina, you're supposed to be dead. Gina, you're yeah, supposed to be exactly. dead. <laughs> <sighs> there are some things as an actor where you're like, am I supposed to be good at this? Cause I have never, I've never done this before. I've right. never learned how to do this. You just, you just do it. And then sometimes it goes horribly, <laughs> but you eventually get the take. And sometimes it goes seamlessly and you get the take. And sometimes that take you thought was great. Turns out not as good as you thought. And sometimes the horrible take turns out the one that's the one that they used and it looked okay. I just think you, you just have to, you have to be pretty brave to, to to do it and that sounds so silly like obviously you know doctors nurses and surgeons like maybe right. follow into that a little bit better but um just in terms of, of being in front of people and in really pressure-filled moments just going for it for sure go for it that's what it's all about i mean persevering and never yeah. giving up and continue moving forward and i mean i love that mm-hmm. i really appreciate and being able to laugh at yourself mm-hmm. that's the <laughs> biggest thing <laughs> I can do that. I can do that. Yeah, what'd you do today? I laid in a puddle with mosquitoes on my face. What'd you do today? Like, yeah, it's fantastic. (laughs) Uh, That's funny. So dumb. Like, when I was doing The Last of Us and there was that long hallway scene and I'm shot dead. Yeah. And I'm up against the wall, like, where the wall meets. And Mm -hmm. they're like, great, Gina, just, like, sit right on that crack where the wall meets the wall. (laughs) Just really align your spine. Awesome. And then curl your body into, like, a dead position. Oh, wow. This is... We want, yeah, great. Uh, okay, action. And then the scene where they all meet each other, they're pointing guns at each other, Joel and Ellie meet for the first time. That took a lot, like that's a long scene, right? Yeah. And they did it all in one take sometimes. Oh, wow. And and so we did take after take after take. And of course, like, oh my God, what an amazing thing. I'm I'm just listening to these these incredible actors. 
but it got to the point where they would yell cut and I'm like, Oh my God. Oh my God. And I'm like, <laughs> like an old man, just like, Oh, like standing up, like flexing my back and Pedro starts <laughs> noticing. And he's like, one more time for Gina. <laughs> <laughs> and Gina's like, at what point Both do I get a stunt double? Yeah, <laughs> yeah stunt, exactly. stunt. <laughs> That's great. Uh, oh my that gosh. is so funny. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming on the show and getting a little crazy with us. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Honestly, anytime you ever want to come back on the show, just let us know uh-huh. and we can make that happen. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, this has been so fun. It's cool, like, after the fact to talk about everything and and meet people from everywhere. Oh, my God. So, Americans. Like, you're not that far away. (laughs) You're not that far. (laughs) Americans. Americans. Canadians. Canadians. (laughs) Now we can say we know Canadians. It's fantastic. That was oh hilarious. My That's, That's a sound bite. We're getting it. We're, we're totally getting it. So it's <laughs> fantastic. It, so great. That's so great. Well, you know, it's all about social media now. So where can people follow you? Yeah. Um, so my Instagram is at Gina Louise Phillips. Mm-hmm. And my Twitter is at Gina Phillips. Fantastic. Fantastic. We, we will <laughs> direct everyone there. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can't tell we spend a lot of time together, right? No, it's like, no. 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 <laughs> Not at all. Uh, But listen, take care. Thank you again so much. And we will be talking to you soon, okay? Guys. All right. Bye-bye. Oh, man. What a bubbly personality right there. I'm telling you, that smile was just so bright and infectious. It's hard not to get excited talking to her Mm because she's so joyous. You know, it's like, but (laughs) Americans. Yeah, right. (laughs) For sure, the sound clip of the show. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She was great. Yeah, she really was, man. She really was. I mean, it's so knowledgeable about all of these different things. So it's awesome to get to hear that thing. I think a lot of the people, a lot of the listeners are going to enjoy this one. Absolutely. And the appreciation she has for both the indie side of it and the big budget stuff and knowing her place on each one of those because I think that was critical advice. Like, there is a difference between saying what you think on an indie and keeping your mouth shut on a big one, you know? And to know when and when not to speak is a really good thing to learn. So that was great advice. Agreed, man. Agreed. Thank you again, Gina, for coming on the show. All right. Now it is time for the top five segment. And man, oh man, are you ready to break out the tissues? (laughs) Man, uh, it's top five saddest moments uh, slash scenes on television this mm. week. Um, number five for me, I just had to throw this out there for little Cam, honorable mention. Uh, she made it on my list. Congratulations to you, Emily. Um, it's going to be uh, the Gilmore Girls when Richard, you know, the, the Papa Gilmore almost dies of a heart attack. Man, oh man, it's such an emotional time because it's almost where, like, you start to realize, you know, we're not all going to be here forever and you can't take every second for granted and you have to not be so antisocial like myself and go out and do things with your family because this could potentially – you don't want to think like this always but I mean it's good to think like it sometimes. But anyway, it's good to think you know that this could potentially be the last time that you see somebody and just different things. Anything could happen at any point in time. So you just got to take advantage of the time that we do have and just, yeah, I, I definitely cried. All of my ones that are on mine, I don't know about you, but I cried at all of them. I bawled like a fucking baby at all of them. There's yeah. no doubt about it. And you know what makes that one even more sad is it was almost foretelling is because that's how he died in real life yeah, and how exactly. they had to actually write him off the show, which makes it even more sad. It is sad. 
Um, my number five is Leo McGarry's death on the West Wing, which also happened in real life, which is why they had to write it into the show. It was unexpected in real life, and then they wrote it in as an unexpected death uh, on the show. He was, of course, running as the vice presidential candidate, you know, with Jimmy Smith's character, uh, Santos. Um, I, I just remember it was it was so heartbreaking because the people that were there um, – uh, uh, Christine Chenoweth, uh, she was playing the character that was like his go-to, his assistant, his kind of, and, um, she goes to try to wake him up cause he's late. He's not at where he's supposed to be or whatever. And, um, of course we don't see it cause he had already passed. So he's not actually, but you just hear her scream from the hotel room and, and, and then the reaction from getting it from everybody, you know, and you could just tell that, probably filming this episode was just ridiculously hard because the emotions are real. You can tell that this is real sorrow and real loss that all these people are feeling because I mean, he, he had spent the entire time on the show with all of these people. They were family at this point. They're like seven years in and they're like, you know, every day for seven years. Um, you could just tell that they were absolutely heartbroken and to, have to film that episode i can't even imagine so of course with that much emotion and that much of it being real conveyed of course i fucking cried <laughs> i was invested to these characters and i was just like oh man it was definitely a hard one to watch for sure oh for sure and you've watched west wing multiple times so do you cry every time you see this i kind of fucking do i still tear <laughs> up man it's hard him and um mrs langingham's death yeah like that's a hard one i'm just like seeing sheen go to the church and basically fucking curse out god yeah. for for taking her life i'm like what is going on man it's one of the most powerful scenes i've ever seen but yeah you'll cry oh my it's like hey, is that a good idea right. i don't think so exactly exactly well number four for me is not death uh, we, i tried to make sure not to make all of mine death um number four is this is us and it's when i think it's the first season first or second season very early on when kevin ran to help randall after he sensed that his brother was mm. having a panic attack and completely breaking down in his office, which caused Randall to switch career paths, which you will find out, kind of spoiler alert. But this is such an emotional scene because if you know anything about this show, Randall is the adopted child that is the the triplets. And the the dynamic between Kevin and Randall throughout the whole series can be very rocky, but there this show is so good at showing, you know, when someone they love is going through something, they they are there for them. And I think that that sense of camaraderie that this whole entire series has is so freaking special. Um, it's definitely one of my favorite shows of all time because I just feel like they did it in such a way that you feel like you're a part of the family. Um, so when you – and I have a lot of you know family stuff that – a lot of my family deal with panic attacks and depression, anxiety, and things like that. So I connected to that very, very deeply. So yes, that's why I had to put this on my list. And the the sense of, you know, I actually, I have a brother who is biracial. And so to see that in the television show where obviously they're not the same race, I connected a lot to that situation because I've always felt like I was the one who had was supposed to have everything put together, which is what Kevin felt. And my younger brother who battles with anxiety and depression a lot um, 
is the one who has panic attacks sometimes. So he was in Randall's shoes. So it was a very easy to compare my situation to their situation. So that's why I had to put it on my list. Number four for me, when Randall has a panic attack in This Is Us. Be sure to watch This Is Us, by the way. It's so good. And there's basically a crying moment in every fucking episode. It's true. Like, I mean, that you it would be impossible to pick because, I mean, in every episode you cried. Yeah. It's just, like, crazy. Okay, my number four, I'm kind of throwing it back a little bit. Uh, Paul's death, Mr. The Incomparable uh, John Ritter. Um, just unbelievable. But he was on a show called Eight Simple Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter, Kelly Cuoco, or Haley Cuoco. I mean, Kaylee Cuoco. Can't even talk. Um played the daughter and this scene again because this was an unexpected death that they had to write into the show and the on the show it was the back and forth between their two characters he was always giving her shit because she was that bad girl she was always trying to do the bad the questionable things but in 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 heart really truly a good person right well in this particular scene um and how they kind of address it and where i lost my shit because she lost her shit um Basically, she's getting ready to go out of the house uh, on a date, and she's wearing this, like, skimpy, barely there dress. And as she's walking out the door, nobody says anything to her. The mom doesn't say anything to her. And she turns back around, and she starts to cry because... Her dad would have said, get your ass upstairs and put clothes on. You're not going out there like that. And that was the moment when she realizes the realness of he's not there anymore. Um, And her performance in that episode, again, it was real. That was her really breaking down and realizing that John was no longer there. And um, holy shit. Her breakdown in that scene was... It's something I'll never forget. Um, and and the way that it all just kind of happened. If you didn't cry watching that scene, something was seriously wrong with yeah. you. Because you could just, again, just like I said on my number five, it was genuinely they were dealing with the loss of their beloved co-actor, their friend, their family member, you know. And whew, it was tough. By the way, if you've never caught that series, go back and watch that series. It's John's last, unfortunately, but it was so fucking good. Yeah, It was a really great great series so for sure man for sure i listened to an interview uh with kaylee cuoco on scott feinberg's podcast um awards chatter uh for the hollywood reporter and yeah the the conversation that they had about john and the, you know the show and the dynamic she remember she did a play-by-play of that night um, yeah and apparently like the day before like he felt like he was sick so he like knocked on everybody's door and taping was canceled or rehearsal was canceled or whatever and it's like he almost knew and he said goodbye to every single person that was on set and like man and the sad thing is it was an unnecessary death because it was misdiagnosed Mm -hmm. what he had and it it didn't have to happen yeah that's just the crazy that makes it even more sad yeah like uh, anyway, number three for me goes to Sons of Anarchy. It's the series finale when Jack Teller rides into a sunset or AKA rides right into a semi. Um, just the same way that <laughs> <laughs> I know not try to bring Saddest some, moment, uh, but I'm laughing, yeah, like. try to bring some light to a dark situation. But the whole series is basically being a product of your environment. You know, the, 
Jax Teller is basically trying to do right by his bike club. He's trying to do right by his newly found family. He's trying to do right by his family that he was born into and to live up to his father's legacy, who was also a, you know, just this bigger than life biker leader, um, president. And basically he spends the whole series trying to run away from what he was born into only to realize he's the same exact person as his dad was. Mm. Um, so it's one of those situations where he has to, the only way he sees out is by taking the same way that his dad got out and which was getting hit by a semi. So it, it's a crazy emotional show. It's definitely one of my all-time favorites. I love Sons of Anarchy, and I love Charlie there who plays Jax. Um, everybody who's on that show talks about the emotional ride and the journey they went through with their characters. They felt like their characters took on a whole life of their own. Um, so it's a beautiful show. It's it's literally Hamlet, but in a biker gang. Um, they The writers say that. Uh, but it's such, it's such an amazing show and like yeah i cry every time the soundtrack to literally every single season is so emotional and so thrilling um but so yeah that's why i had to put on my list uh sons of anarchy the end where Jax teller dies yeah mm. yeah yeah that's that's hardcore man it is that is hardcore this one my number three i can't believe you did not have on your list like not this one but i, I thought about another one i thought i thought for sure um i think anybody who's ever watched gray's anatomy you cried i'm sorry but there's no way you didn't fucking cry denny duquette's death come on man come on when izzy's in the bed and and she's just like in the dress and she's like, I, I lost, I, I, there's no way you can't lose your shit there. That was like the most genuine love story. I thought so well written, so incredibly well written. And, and I, I just, you know, I don't think that he gets enough credit as a, the phenomenal actor that he is at the same time he was playing denny he was playing papa winchester completely different, different you know and yet he was so unbelievably good playing this dying man and and his love for her and just like yeah and i mean how do you not cry when she's in the dress and she's ready and and like just Oh my God, man! It's one of the most heart wrenching scenes I've ever seen yeah. on television. It was it was definitely a crying moment for sure. It was. They didn't have to cut the cord. Denny could have still been alive, but he they could- cut the fucking cord, <laughs> man. <laughs> cut the cord. But yeah, I mean Jeffrey Dean Morgan, he's a phenomenal, just actor. unreal. Yeah. So I I love that. That is a good pick. That is a good pick. Uh, number two for both of us. I mean, because we're such big fans of this type of genre of television. Um, Obviously noted with This Is Us, but this is This Is Us before This Is Us. Um, <laughs> Parenthood. Parenthood is such a great show with so many different dynamics and where this big family just all works together to try to help each other out even when they all have their own shit going on. But the daddy, daddy fucking um, Braverman, when Zeke dies of... Um, he has a heart attack, I believe, right? Yeah, it's heart problems. Yeah. yeah, he has a heart attack in the series finale. And that it was just so rough because you could see it like leading up to it, but then when it actually happened, like it's it's crazy. Like it it was such an emotional breakdown where he's just sitting in his chair and 
Yeah, I mean, that cast was just so just, freaking amazing. I mean, like you said, I think it was towards the end of season two. It ran for five seasons. Or six seasons. Six seasons. Yeah. And it was towards the end of season two where they first kind of hinted at it, that there was some problems, that he had some health issues and stuff. And then you knew. It just, they kept... Each season, they kept progressing that storyline, yeah. and you were waiting and waiting. But they waited all the way up till the series finale, and like you said, he just passed away in his chair with his family. And it was so... I think it was so sad, and why it was such a crying moment and so hard to get through is because the relationship that he had with all of his family members. Yeah. And, and especially Mae Whitman's character, his granddaughter, who had just given birth to her own baby and named the baby after Zeke. And it, oh my, it was just gut-wrenching. Yeah. Da- like you said, Dak Shepard and Lauren Graham and Mae Whitman and Bonnie Bonilla and Peter Krause and just like every that whole cast each and every week just delivered so you felt like you were a part of the fucking Braverman family exactly. so when Zeke died you felt like you lost Zeke it was just like fuck yeah. my life and that's not the only one i mean they dealt with cancer on there they dealt with rape on there that Michael B Jordan was on there yeah. for Christ's sake there were so many crying moments but it had to be the ultimate crying moment or yeah. scene had to be when Zeke the the granddaddy of them all like passed away it was just oh yeah that was the first time i ever saw Jason Ritter on parenthood oh so, yeah oh my gosh yeah so just good. another storyline there that was just so good oh. yeah exactly such a good show if you haven't watched parenthood be sure to check it out you know how it ends now though um <laughs> yeah we just totally fucking blew that yeah. for you but um number number one for me this one i mean it hits home uh like if you listen to everything's okay podcast where we talk about our mental health struggles everything we deal with every day childhood trauma all the things um everybody knows about my i have separation anxiety and you know it has to deal with some family members so this one hits really big home and it's uh, fresh prince of bel-air it's when will's dad leaves again um the the in and out of someone's life is so emotional and especially that scene that him and uh uncle phil have when james avery and will smith like that dynamic when he's like how come he doesn't want me it's like it does it has nothing to do with you and the child doesn't know that at the time it has nothing to do with the child it has all to do with the parent um and just that that big hug i it was so emotional and like that whole speech that monologue it was so beautiful so that i mean i had to put that as my number one because every time i watch it i'm like i am bawling like a baby but yeah number one for me fresh prince of bel-air when uh will's dad leave okay number one for me was uh zoe's extraordinary playlist the season one finale when her dad mitch finally passed um holy shit yeah. This was another series that you just became so emotionally devoted and and involved with the family that you felt like you were a part of the family. And in every episode, I cried at least once in every episode. <laughs> there was literally not a single episode of that series that I didn't cry at at least once. But the ending of it, when when Mitch finally passes away, it's this extraordinary scene with all of the family and friends and they're doing it. They're all singing. If you guys don't know anything about this show, they basically, they go into these singing monologues with the characters, right? Singing songs that she is hearing in her head, seeing them play out. Um, 
But uh, and that was a horrible way to describe it. But you got to watch this series; yeah. it's phenomenal. But basically, they're all go dealing with the loss of him, and it's being done to American Pie. And it was already hard to watch. I was already kind of watering up in the eyes. But when American Pie came on, like Logan said, if you've been listening to our other podcast, I lost my brother. And so I was already kind of feeling really sad about watching something about the loss of a loved one or a family member and stuff. But then American Pie was a very important and 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 cl- just a big part of my life and song with my brother. It was it was a thing that we shared that we did this quirky little thing with every year and that we did we did together. So when that fucking song came on, I just fucking lost my shit. It looked like a flood in my goddamn room. It was just like it was so bad. Because not only was the scene sad and the story was sad, but then the that song, that fucking song, I was like, <laughs> no, fuck you. I was so like, Winsburg, I'm going to get you. I just, I lost it. Everybody in the neighborhood could probably hear me crying. I was fucking bawling so bad. But um, yeah, just so well done. That Another one where the show dynamic is family and yeah. you're just so just... Oh, it's so good. So good, man. We had a lot of these people from these shows on our podcast. So yeah. be sure to go back and check out all of their interviews. They're really so down-to-earth people. Absolutely love them. And, I mean, I, I, mean, I just always always have to t- say it. Team Simon. If you're watching <laughs> Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Team Simon, always. John Clarence Stewart, bro. I love you. It's all good. It's all good. Um, But anyway, guys, please let us know your top five saddest moments or scenes in your television history. We want to know. Be sure to comment below on the YouTube channel or on Twitter. We love the fan interaction. We love to hear your put picks um there's so many so many good shows out there so so hard to pick just five now heading over to the box office recap like we touched on a little bit in the industry news shazam fury of the gods came in at number one with 30 and a half million scream six came in at number two with 17 and a half million number three was creed three with uh 15.4 Number four was 65 with 5.8. I'm honestly surprised that one is staying in the top five. I know. Um, But kudos to Adam Driver and the team. And number five is Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania with 4.1 million. New movies coming out. You can so see now. Um, John Wick 4, that is out right now. So be sure to go check that out. Um, Knock at the Cabin's available right now on Peacock. So you can see that. You know, the M. Night Shyamalan, Batista, all the good people. Um, yes. A good person. The a School of Magical Animals and Drain Away is Pure Longing in Sin. Um, some of these are only at select cinemas. So look up your local showtimes and see what's available near you. I am super excited to watch. You're, you can't watch John Wick by yourself, though, because I got to see your reactions. <laughs> the first one is just so... It, it You feel like it brings these Bruce Lee movies back to life. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So we're going to watch it. Um, movies you can still go see right now. Cocaine Bear, Jesus Revolution. I actually really want to see that one. That's the one with uh, Fraser himself, Kelsey Grammer. Um, and then Champions with Woody Harrelson, Avatar, The Way of the Water, and Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. That one's actually out on Peacock right now as well if you want to check that one out. Uh, IMD Pro's top trending segment. Oh, man, oh, man. This makes... So much sense, because I bet it's getting streamed like crazy after the Oscars. For sure. The top trending movie is Everything Everywhere All at Once. If you have not checked it out, 
check it out. It's on Showtime right here, right now. Be sure to do so. Uh, the top trending TV show is obviously The Last of Us, so it's a great week to have another Last of Us cast member on the show. And the top trending star is Ashley Johnson from The Last of Us show and video game. She plays Ellie in the video game, and in the show, she plays Ellie's mom. I yes. thought that was like such a, a nice... Uh, cherry on top type of situation oh for sure so respectful i love how they're bringing back the characters from the games to the show i think that's so special definitely um we got to thank our guest one more time gina louise phillips for coming on the show be sure to follow her on instagram and twitter she's absolutely amazing she shares some awesome content so be sure to do that you guys know you can follow us on social media as well at crazy ant media the flagship social media and of course it calf podcast on all social media platforms. You guys know we have the other podcasts as well. We talked about it a little bit. Our mental health podcast, Everything's Okay. You can follow us at Everything's OKP for OK Podcast. On Instagram and Twitter, a TikTok page will be up soon. We will keep you posted on that. And you guys know you can follow us both personally on social media. Myself at J Logan Austin everywhere and anywhere. And at Crazy Ant CEO. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And you guys know, be sure to subscribe to the podcast anywhere you listen to your podcast. Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Podbean, Stitcher, and so much more. If you're watching this video on YouTube, we really appreciate it. Our YouTube numbers have been up. The comments have been great. We love the interaction. We appreciate you. Be sure to keep that going. Hit the like button on the video. Subscribe to the channel and ring that bell for all the latest and greatest notifications we have going down in Hollywood. A new Management Minutes is out right now. An important lesson for those who are breaking into the entertainment industry be sure to check that out and be sure to visit our website www.crazyantmedia.com for all the latest and greatest crazy ant media gear that's why you gotta follow us so you know when the promotional sales happen yes man oh man this has been a great episode i love how in depth we got about the ai stuff and the marvel stuff because i felt like those were the two big stories of the week um so necessary to talk about but then aside from that my favorite segment was top five. That was so. Oh I, yeah, I was starting to cry up about a few, <laughs> few of those. Thinking back to those moments. Yeah, no, same, same, and and then thinking about the ones that we didn't put on the I list, know. like like you know. Uh, so yeah, maybe we'll have to come back to this one again at some point. Part two. Yeah. Cause it was such a good topic, man. Um, yeah, same. I always love when we deep dive in and I just, I, I'm real curious to see where, uh, Victoria Alonso ends up. Right. Cause you know, she's, she's going to end up somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Could it be under gun? Potentially, that would be a huge grab. I mean, that would be like, uh, wow. That'd be wow. a huge grab. She And she knows her shit, and yeah. it's given time and not forced under deadlines. We know she can do her shit. Exactly. So, mm, exactly. That's mm. all good, man. That's all good. We would like to say as well, um, we will be taking a week off from all podcasts. We will still be posting on social media and doing things. But, you know, it's good to have that mental health break every once in a while. And we want to get ready for quarter two, quarter one. One has been so successful of 2023, yes. so we deserve that week break of just hanging out, chilling, recouping our energy to plow through quarter two. We're super excited about it, and uh, I mean, it's just been amazing, man. It has been. I love it. I love it. And someone else we love, you guys know her. We love her. Oh, Oprah! Oprah!